0: why well, don 't you just love it when there's someone or something that you 're totally committed to deeply love and you have the opportunity to bring them honor uh, maybe uh, you hear you know when you hear of Olympians and they genuinely consider it an honor to represent their country they they 're welled up with pride uh, when I was a high school teacher uh, I really respected my head teacher and I wanted everything I did to reflect well on him as my boss now you got anyone or anything like that in your life maybe your parents or your workplace a dear friend something or someone you are devoted to and to be able to honor them that is something you would jump at friends isn't that the way we feel about the lord jesus as we've been looking at this opening chapter of philippians the past three weeks we have seen haven't we that Jesus has spectacularly hijacked this thing we call life. That in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, he's cracked open what life is all about. It's about him. And wonderfully we've been made his servants because we've received God's grace and peace in Christ. We're waiting for the day of Christ. To live is Christ. And if we've been brought into this fantastic truth that life is all about Jesus, then of course the way we want to live is to honour him. And this isn't a burden to us. This is exactly how we want to live. Paul summarises all that we've seen so far in verse 27. Have a look at it with me there. Verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Contend as one man for his gospel. Jesus is worth everything, no matter what happens. Now remember from last week, uh, Paul himself is not sure if he'll live or die. He's in prison, could be executed, might be released, can't be sure. But whatever happens, Paul says, you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. That's what our verses are all about this morning. In fact, it's what the entire rest of Philippians is all about, that we're to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. And in our verses that we're looking at this morning, the way we do that is by contending as one man for the gospel. Now, the idea behind contending as one man is is the idea of striving together. It's labouring together, toiling, working really hard together. And notice in verse 27 that we're to be like this for the gospel, fighting for the gospel in any and every situation. Like comrades at war. In any and every way, if you're at war, you fight together for each other. You see your man down and you rush out to help him and get him out of harm's way. Or you're trying to sleep in your bunk, but someone else is crying because the war has become too much for them. So you get out of bed and you comfort them. You're travelling in the helicopter to safety and one of your mates in the chopper is hurt and you see what you can do to relieve the pain. In any and every way, you fight together. For one another. And in any and every way we're to fight together for the gospel. Contending as one man. For the truth of Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. For the news that Jesus Christ is Lord and Judge of the living and the dead. We contend together. In other words, in our own individual lives. In the lives of each other. And in the lives of the people around about us. We strive together to see the gospel of Christ honoured, fighting for the gospel in any and every situation. Now, what does that look like? Well, lots and lots of things. In our verses this morning, Paul's got two ways for us to think through. And the first is that we're to contend for Christ's gospel in spite of opposition. Have a look halfway through verse 27. Then I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Now look, I know there's some intriguing ideas in those verses, but before we look at the details, uh, before we see the trees, let's see the forest, Notice the big, the big picture in this, the simple truth that as we contend together for the gospel, it will be in spite of opposition. The gospel of Christ is news that the world does not want to hear. And so us striving for the honour of Christ in people, that's going to ruffle feathers. Like the worker who comes at knockoff time with the message from the boss, That no one can go home until the job's 100% finished. That sort of news doesn't tend to win friends, does it? Well, the news of the gospel doesn't tend to win friends. Telling people that they're wrong to live for themselves. That unless they turn to Christ for forgiveness, they will remain under the wrath of God. Telling people that the only right way to live is for Christ. This gospel ruffles feathers. But what does it mean to contend together for this gospel in spite of opposition? Well, from last week, it'll mean persisting in preaching Christ, even when the world doesn't want to hear it because that's what matters. But it'll also mean that when you hear of one of us copping a hard time for living for Christ, we will fight together for the gospel to see that we remain as followers of Christ. We will strive together to see that we all keep honouring Christ and not cave in because of opposition. And so look, when you hear that one of us is getting persecuted at work for following Jesus, or, or one of us has a family that is rubbishing and ridiculing us for following Christ, or... You hear of it's happening at school with one of the children in our church family and you know, other students are making fun of them for wanting to please Jesus. When you hear that one of us is facing opposition for following Christ, then get beside him, won't you? And see that our brother or sister continues in Christ. Catch up with them. Encourage them to keep living for Jesus. Pray for them. We're to support one another to fight for the gospel in each other's lives to see that none of us run at the white flag when opposition comes our way. We contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. I was talking to someone about their school where there's the possibility of the school band being disbanded. Oh, come on, that was funny. School, Anyway, okay. <laughs> And this this news, this possibility has really brought people together. Parents were really quite upset. They were ringing each other up. They're trying to find out the facts, um, finding out how people felt about it, what were people willing to do about it. Some parents even arranged for interviews with the principal. The issue of music in the school was a real rallying point for these people, and they went in to fight for it, stood together, united in their cause to see music taught at their school. Friends, we have the gospel of the Lord Jesus And we're to stand for it, united in our cause, to see Christ's name honoured, even when we face opposition. Now, as we do that, it's actually a sign to those who oppose us. Look again at verse 28, halfway through. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Our contending as one for the gospel in spite of opposition is a sign to those who oppose us that they'll be destroyed, but we'll be saved. Now, how does that work? I think it's along the lines of us walking in the footsteps of Jesus after him. It was given to Christ, wasn't it, that he should be opposed and even killed at the hands of his opponents and only then to rise in victory. Suffer first, then glory. So Christ's sufferings were a sign that his victory was about to begin. Just like when you're sitting in a theatre and you're waiting for a show to begin. And, you know, when they raise the curtain and dim the lights, that's the sign that the show's about to begin. Well, Christ's sufferings were the sign that his reign was about to begin. Because what happened? What happened? After the people who opposed Jesus had him killed, he was raised up in glory to have all authority in heaven and on earth. So his sufferings were a sign to his enemies that their defeat was imminent. And it's the same for us as Christ's people. As we stand firm in Christ in the face of opposition, it's a sign that we're on the same path as our Lord. Have a look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him. You see, God has given to us not only to believe on Christ, but to be like Christ. If he was rejected and opposed by the world, then as his followers, of course, we're going to suffer as well. But as surely as day follows night, as surely as Christ's victory came after his sufferings, so too will ours. Because if the Lord Jesus was raised with all authority, then when he returns on the day of Christ, he'll take his people to be with him, safe in glory, but he'll destroy his enemies. Our sufferings for Christ now show that we're on board with him. They're a sign of our certain salvation and so a sign of the certain destruction of those who persist in opposing Christ. Now the enemies of Christ might not be able to read this sign like walking down a street in Beijing with all the signs in Chinese like this one. Uh, No matter how many of these signs there are, I will never be able to understand any of them. Now the enemies of Christ, they might not understand our sufferings at their hands as a sign speaking of their destruction, but the sign's still there. And our sufferings for Christ, as a sign, what do they say? To us, they say, hang in there. It's all worth it. Christ is coming. His victory is already established. We will be saved. So let's stand united in seeing that none of us cave in in the face of opposition. Let's contend together. For the honour of his name in each other's lives, fighting for the gospel in each other and persisting in proclaiming to this world the Lord Jesus, that they too, by God's grace, might know him. So when he contenders one for the gospel in spite of opposition, Paul has a second way where to strive together for the gospel. Have a look, chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness in compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now this is just the same as chapter 1 verse 27, isn't it? Back there it was standing in one spirit, contending as one. Here it's being like-minded, being one in spirit and purpose. And if we have any any understanding that to live is Christ, then we're to be one in spirit and purpose for the gospel. And what's the second way that we can do that? Verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, those verses are beautiful in their own right, aren't they? Aren't they just lovely? I mean, imagine a church family that conducts itself like this. No one trying to make themselves better than anyone else. Instead, everyone working hard to look for other interests ahead of their own. It's just beautiful. But remember the bigger picture. This is all in the context of being one in spirit and in purpose for the gospel, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. So let's think through these verses with that in mind. We're to contend as one for the honour of Christ in verse 3 by having nothing to do with selfish ambition. The idea behind selfish ambition there in verse 3 is the idea of trying to make ourselves look better than others. So we're not to fight each other for pride of place, selfishly looking for our own interests, scrambling over one another to, to better the other, like the person at work stabs everyone in the back trying to make the boss think better of them or the school playground where the hierarchy of who's cool and who's not is sorted out with venom over and over again these have absolutely no place in a church family this sort of attitude where we might look down on others because of their sins or bicker behind people's backs about the style of music we have, squabbling over insignificant things, trying to make a name for ourselves or or feeling smug because, well, I help out at church more than so-and-so or quietly poo-pooing the way other parents raise their kids. We're to have nothing of this sort of thing because it does not contend for the gospel in each other's lives trying to squash other people in your church family, that's going to turn them away from Christ. It's not going to contend for them to keep them in the gospel, is it? Can you see how selfish ambition, making ourselves more important than others, it just cuts right against the grain of what we're meant to be doing as a church family, contending as one for the faith of the gospel, fighting for each other to see one another continue in Christ. And look, as together we fix our eyes on Jesus, why would we? Why would we pathetically try and make ourselves appear impressive? I mean, who among us is going to stand up to the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ? We follow Him. We want to make much of Him, not much of ourselves. Paul goes on in a similar vein in verse 3, where he speaks of humbly considering others better than yourselves, looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we are to look after our own interests, but we're also to look after one another's interests. And what is our interest? Well, in verse 2, we all have the one spirit and purpose. What's the one thing we're trying to do with our lives? Chapter 21, contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. How do I look out for my interests? What's going to benefit me? How do I look to your interests? What's going to benefit you? It's to stand firm in Christ, contending together, to see Christ honoured in my life and in yours, in your life and in mine. So personally, What are you doing to fight for the gospel in your own life? If you're disciplining yourself to routinely feed your soul on the word of God, regularly praying in complete dependence on God, taking every opportunity to testify to others about Christ, friends, if that's you, keep up the fight, won't you? Good on you. For the sake of Christ's honour in your life, keep up the fight. But also in your own life, do you have any habits that are really unhelpful for you as you try and take Jesus seriously? And are you letting these habits get comfy? Maybe they've even become a part of the furniture in your life. Friends, fight for the gospel in your own life, for the honour of Christ, a life worthy of his gospel. Take a stand. But look, what about for the rest of us in your church family? Are you contending for the gospel in us? Friends, if you're regularly pulling up your sleeves for our sake, encouraging us in the things of Christ, helping us follow him, rebuking us when we need it, always there at the ready to point us to Jesus. And look, I know there are many of you that are like this. Friends, if that's you, thank you. And for the sake of Christ's honour in our lives, please keep striving. But if, in all honesty, you find yourself on the fringe of your church family and keeping us at a distance, not really doing much at all for the cause of Christ in us, friends, we all need all the help we can get to honour Christ in our lives. So please, for his sake, please fight for us. Contend by our side. Bring God's word to us. Pray for us. Encourage us when we get things right for Christ. Call us back to Jesus when we start to drag his name through the mud. I want you to imagine a cricket team where the players are at each other's throats, always bickering, each player always trying to prove that they're better than everyone else, constantly undermining the other players, even to the point of deliberately dropping catches during a game. Now, it'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And imagine watching that team play. It'd be embarrassing. And who would join that club the reputation of that club would be in tatters. Brothers and sisters, we're not playing a game where you chase a leather ball around the park for hours on end in 40 degree heat. We have the gospel of Christ. If it'd be ridiculous for a cricket team to fight amongst itself, it'd be disturbingly tragic for a church family to fight amongst itself. Because we're not just trying to win a game. We're fighting for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, for his honour in the lives of one another. And so we contend as one man for the gospel. In any and every way, we stand together as one to see Christ honoured everywhere, in my life, in your life, in everyone's life, for the sake of Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us the strength by your spirit to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Father, we pray that we would grow as a church family, contending as one for the faith of the gospel, that we would do all we can in any and every way to see your son honoured in our own lives, in the lives of one another, Father, in the lives of the world around about us. Father, please help us to live all for Christ, for his glory and for his honour. Amen.